everyone. I'm Louise Rumble and I am so excited to introduce Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast that explores the amazing impact that therapy and human connection can have on all areas of our lives. This is Open House and everyone is invited. We hope you enjoy. So, for those of you who have followed me for a while now, you'll know that nearly three years ago I decided to stop drinking. The trigger behind this decision was something that I never shared publicly, but today I finally feel ready to share this story in the hope that it might help anyone else who has been in a similar situation, whilst potentially inspiring others to understand how truly revolutionary a life of sobriety can be. Without a doubt, sobriety has changed my life for the better, and I see it as one of my biggest achievements and greatest benefits to my life. Society tells you that you have to have a problem or be an addict to stop drinking. But for me, I never classified myself as either of those things. I never went out just to get super drunk. I never drunk on my own and I never drunk in the daytime. I never chased the party, but once I was in it, that's when things often started to unravel. When I look back, it's clear that from a young age, drinking really led me into some situations that I deeply regret and that just wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have been drunk. So in advance, thank you. I appreciate you sharing the safe space for me to share this story with you. And if you think you have an unhealthy relationship with any type of substance or have gone through anything that was traumatic whilst intoxicated and that you have never discussed properly with those around you, I would implore you to seek professional help to start on your own healing journey. Today, I feel more passionate than ever before that we should be able to love and embrace who we are underneath the persona that alcohol provides us with. We should be able to live lives that we don't need to escape from. And we should be able to process painful experiences so we don't need to run from them and self-medicate using substances. Whilst I know how much wild and uninhibited fun being drunk can be, it alters our identity, perceptions and decision-making abilities. And I, for one, really love the thought of a world where we're able to connect and enjoy life without it, just as we are, no masks needed. For now, it's over to me and Dr. Helen, and I will see you on the other side. So, yeah, it does sound like before old Louise was pretty full on. How did you wind down? Because if you operate with that level of intensity, it must be hard to wind down to sleep or wind down to connect with friends. What did you do? I just didn't wind down. <laughs> like, I literally didn't. Uh, and at the time, I thought that my winding down was exercise. Mm. So that endorphin rush that I probably got from high intensity exercise, I thought that was like my release mm. and... I would definitely just self-soothe through exercise and food mm. in the evening. And I'm very lucky that I never had a problem with sleep mm. because judging by my stress levels and the intensity, I should have had insomnia. Like my mm. brain should have just been wired to not not stop. But then I think even on the weekends, it just became this like really unnatural cycle of doing nothing on the weekends because I needed time. It was the only time I could get to myself. But then I'd end up going out Mm. and then I'd end up partying and Mm. then I'd end up hungover. So the whole work hard, play hard mentality. For years, like Mm. Monday to Friday, intense work, weekend, intense partying. I'd still exercise on the weekend, so intense exercising, intense eating. When I look back, I'm like, wow, Mm. I just don't know how I did it. Well, I guess it would be difficult for most people to catch up with you and to maintain that level you know that pace of life that you had developed over time yeah definitely and like I mean I was in a relationship for part of that Mm. but he I mean I think he was 
if I'm allowed to say so, like, I think he was battling his own issues, which mm. meant that he worked incredibly hard too and he mm. exercised incredibly hard. So it was almost like we enabled each other. Just mm. Whereas if it had been someone that had been like, you're not being present or you need to put your phone down, mm. then it definitely would have been challenged. Mm. So I think that um, definitely got into some cycles that became real life for me. Yeah. It, I honestly thought that was... I hate the word girl boss, but like, you know, hustle life, like mm. work hard, play hard, travel hard. Yes, yes. That's very interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I actually don't have many uh, strong female role models. And so perhaps what you were drawing on were perhaps your what your father had modelled for you in terms of working hard, then maybe, I don't know, some celebrities and how they partied hard and how they ran a career. It sounds like you drew on lots of different influences and then created this very fast-paced, very intense life for yourself. Yeah, and I definitely think as well that the situations that I lived in enabled the cycle. Mm. So in work, my business worked with a lot of gyms. So yeah. I'd get free access to all my clients. So that would be, you know, most people have to spend £30 a class. That wouldn't be the case for me. So I could just pop into the gym whenever. Nice. And similarly on the weekends, like we had a lot of clients that were restaurants or bars or clubs. So I'd often go out for a drink on the weekend because like, I've never really been a big partier. Like, I'm not a raver. I don't really care for DJs or music. Like, it for me more was like I'd go out for a drink with my clients or to an event and then it would turn into partying, if that makes sense. So it was almost like I became the inadvertent work hard play hard because oh, I didn't okay. even want to play hard yeah that's interesting well you have also spoken about being a bit of a closet introvert so you, people would expect you to be an extrovert but in fact you're an introvert and I wonder whether you used anything to basically make you feel comfortable in that club or bar scene um I I don't know if this is a thing but I feel like a really extroverted introvert and I don't know in, in psychological terms <laughs> like what that is like I definitely feel and I think it comes back to the performative mask that yeah. I have nailed to a T is that my external version of me is great. So no issues of walking into a club or a bar and talking to strangers or bartenders. Yeah. But I think that um, the alcohol probably helped me relax a bit. Yeah. And then once you start drinking, like... It, <laughs> it can um, be a slippery of, slope. Yeah, slippery, <laughs> slippery slope because probably feels good it's like that release mm. from maybe the tension that I was carrying yeah but that I didn't realize I was carrying if that makes sense I didn't I wasn't like oh my god I need to drink I'm so stressed mm. I, ne I never have said that it's just like I'd have a drink and then it would just say yeah yeah well for some people and I wonder what the case is for you you know maybe it can help you just feel a bit more in the moment maybe it can just make you feel a bit more connected to other people that you're with like did you feel that there were some positives to drinking it sounds absurd because I've done it I drank my whole life mm. until I decided to not drink mm. but I don't remember like I didn't really like the taste mm. it didn't make me feel particularly more confident or more able to connect with people it was just fun you just have some really fun nights when you're really drunk. Yeah. But I think that's also probably why I found it so much easier to stop. Yeah. Was because I realised, like, actually, I can still have the fun being sober. And what other benefits was I getting from it? I actually was just getting the most horrendous downsides to mm, it. Yeah. So you were sort of struggling then with the hangover and maybe not feeling great the next day. Was that all it was? Um, was that the only reason why you kind of gave up drinking? Oh, no. So 
my hangovers were awful. I believe that I'm a very sensitive person, like emotionally mm. and physically. Yeah. So I think that my hangovers are worse than your average Joe. Yeah. But I would I would be physically sick often. Mm. It would stay with me for a long time, at mm. least two days. It would impact my mental health. So mm. in terms of the follow-on, that was not good for me. The thing that really was much worse for me was almost like the decisions that I made whilst mm. I was drunk. Mm. And then even worse than that, it was the shame that I then had to live with when I was sober. Of mm. what you did the night before. And the shame was far more crippling than than the physical. You yeah. know, the physical passes. For me, the, the shame or the regret mm. of things that I know my true self didn't do yeah. because the drunk me wasn't my true self. Yeah. My decisions were... You know, I made decisions under the influence. Mm. So, yeah, for me, it just became this very messy cycle of, like, physical symptom, mm. physical impacts, emotional impacts, and the whole thing just became, like, traumatic. At this point, Dr. Helen and I discussed how after my traumatic incident at university that we discussed earlier on in the series, I spent many, many years trying to rewrite my wrongs. So when drinking did allow me to slightly lose control, I would often punish myself a great deal more than someone else might have done in the same situation. These cycles of shame and regret were not uncommon for me after a night out in my 20s. And I have to say, stopping drinking has enabled me to finally go deeper into these cycles and learning to forgive myself rather than just continuing to live them on repeat. I almost wonder, though, if it's a bit of a dance because you are someone who likes to be in control of everything. You know, you're on it everything all the t's are crossed and all the i's are dotted and do you think that maybe your relationship with alcohol was like a way of dancing with being out of control or taking risks yeah maybe it might have been that like i've just so in control always that to mm. be out of control was felt good mm. like i remember once um would have been a couple of years ago now i remember saying to one of my best friends it was around christmas time and we were looking back and i said oh but i wasn't that you know, I wasn't drinking that much around Christmas time, was I? Mm. And she was like, every night you were like... And I mean, in my defence, my parents live in South Africa, so it's, you know, it's wine country. It's very normal to be drinking every day at Christmas with wine. But she was like, you were drinking a lot and, mm. and very drunk. And she said, in that moment, I realised that you were kind of... It was becoming an out-of-control thing. Mm. So I wonder if, yeah, maybe it was like an uh, escape from being in control all the time or or more like an escape for from the pressure I think mm. that I felt that I was under it was mm. like when I was drunk and I mean we can talk about sleeping pills as well because that kind of came part and parcel with the drinking which this is interesting Louise <laughs> you just said that you didn't have any problems sleeping I didn't okay I didn't I've had, never had a problem sleeping but what I would do is I would go out and I would party yeah and I would never take drugs um, but I would easily, because I have so much energy, I would easily stay up until 3, 4, 5. Okay. By which point, if it's 5am on Sunday morning, because you've been out on Saturday yeah. night, I'm then realising at 9 o'clock on Monday morning or 8 o'clock, I have to be the boss. Yeah. If I wake up at 8am, I'm only going to have got four hours sleep. I knew objectively that is not enough sleep mm. for me to have to push me through the pressure of next week. So I ended up like, I don't even know how it happened or how it started. I don't even know where I got the painkillers from. Like maybe because I used to have a shoulder injury, maybe because in 
some countries you can buy them over the counter, but mm-hmm. I always seem to have this supply of tramadol or whatever. And it got to the point where like sometimes I would just take sleeping pills at four or five o'clock in the morning on top of alcohol, mm. which now I don't do it anymore. I realise like how incredibly dangerous it is. Yes. But at the time, it, I honestly didn't think anything of it. It just yeah. was like, I deserve this sleep. I yeah. deserve this rest and I need this rest for me to be able to be on a spinning bike mm. at 7am Monday morning and at my desk at 8.30 mm. to be the boss and deal with what comes next. Mm. Wow. I guess it's really interesting because, you know, knowing you now, you're a vegan, you seem a lot more balanced. And yeah, I guess at that time, you probably didn't even realise how unhealthy and self-destructive that was. No. Um, Honestly, I thought it was normal, mm. which is really sad. Mm. Um, But also, I think that I don't know anyone that lives with anxiety or under intense pressure, like it feels like you have no other option sometimes Mm. than to self-medicate. And so I do often understand why people do things to soothe themselves. Mm. And I remember actually, and this is something that I really have not thought about since, but when I was out in Tulum in Mexico Mm. um, a while ago, probably just under a year ago now, I was having awful anxiety attacks. And I, you could buy tramadol over the counter there. And I bought it and I Mm. took it. It was in that moment that I realised, like, yeah, this tendency to self-medicate from the pressure and the pain of just being Mm. is still there. But other than that experience, you're right, I feel like I'm just so much more balanced and aware now. Now I look back and I'm like, whoa, that that is, those were crazy coping mechanisms. (laughs) Like, they're not good, not Mm. normal. I'd never support anyone else doing them. Mm. Um, But yeah, at the time, it just felt like quick fix yeah it just felt normal it felt like normal and I remember my brother being like to me this is not normal yeah like you need to flush those tablets down the toilet now and you need to not ever take them again yeah well thank god that you have completely changed uh, and that those days are behind you you know that's a real testament to you because not only have you been able to maintain a certain lifestyle and a career um, but you've now found a more like holistic way of doing it which is really very admirable thank you yeah (laughs) actually I think that something that always comes to me is that people say to me do you miss drinking Mm. do you miss drinking do you miss drinking and I think the most telling thing of all Mm. is that the only time I miss drinking is when I want to get really fucked up. Really? Excuse my language. I do not miss having a glass of wine at dinner. I don't miss having a gin and tonic on a summer mm. terrace in the summer. I miss... Getting wasted. When something goes <laughs> wrong, when something bad happens, mm. and I just don't want to feel the pain. Mm. But I know that that is exactly the last time that I should be drinking. Right. So I take such... Um, pleasure isn't the right word proudness also isn't a word but like in those moments I feel so proud of myself because I've acknowledged the connection between what that alcohol was for me it was my escape Mm. it was my release and my runaway yeah and now I feel like that is not a solution Mm. and I need to have a way that I can deal with life yes yeah and I feel like I've I've got that yeah. much more now than I had before. So I do feel like I've come a long way. Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you. 
And so when you decided to quit alcohol, um, did you kind of go through it very systematically, weighing up the pros and the cons and that kind of thing? Or yeah, how, how did you come to this big decision? Yeah, I would love to say that I just sat down one day and I was like, I've done a decision analysis and I've decided that my life will be better without alcohol. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was not the case. To anyone listening, I would like love people, my friends to know that you don't have to wait until it gets to the point that it got to for me yeah. because I feel like for me, I ended up in a situation one evening that was very traumatic mm. um, with a man mm. and it would never have happened if I had not have been out drinking mm. and it was, it was really, really really awful mm. and it's really stayed with me until this day mm. I really don't feel like I've processed it properly mm. but after that I just had a total meltdown like mm. I same thing again like took the sleeping tablets went to bed woke up the next day it was dark I didn't know if it was the same night it was actually the next night so I slept all the way through till Sunday evening at which point I then knew I had to be at my desk at eight o'clock the next morning I went the next morning. The only way I knew how was to be on a spinning bike at 7am. Mm. And I got off the spinning bike and I just like had a full blown panic attack um, oh, wow. in the bathroom afterwards. And so wow. for me, I just, I just couldn't keep mm. going. It was like, I couldn't. Um, so for me, yeah, it definitely took like a really big trigger mm. to kind of change those patterns yeah and that trigger is very alive still because I, I you know I really feel like almost goosebumps as you talk about that trauma that you experienced and and perhaps a lot of regret that if you had been sober and had been in control you could have avoided that trauma and that's still very alive I think for you yeah I definitely don't think I processed it at all I think that it was deeply upsetting and mm. I think that there's also a lot of guilt around the situation for me mm. because even though I very clearly set my boundaries of consent mm. I explicitly said yeah. I don't want to be in this situation please mm. don't make me be in this situation yeah. those boundaries were ignored by mm. the person and so I feel very guilty because if I hadn't have been drinking, I wouldn't have put myself in the situation. Mm. Um, and I know objectively, like, I did nothing wrong in yeah. that situation, but it definitely lives with me as, as like, yeah, mm. guilt, deep sadness, trauma, yeah. shame, um, that, yeah, I've probably brushed over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point, that, yes, although you were drunk, you were saying no... I don't want this, you were being very clear. But by virtue of being drunk, you got yourself in that situation and perhaps you weren't able to get yourself out as confidently as you know you could have. So, yeah, that sounds difficult then because it's hard for you to process. You feel like a little bit responsible for what happened that night, even though it's not fair that was him that violated your yeah. trust and, and your sort of verbal agreements. Um there's a little part there that maybe you wish that you could have been in more control. Definitely. And I think that it's just like such a distressing situation for women or also men. Mm. It can be both ways to be in because I feel like even though I said no and I explicitly said, I don't want to do this, please, it's really sad. Like mm. I said, my words were like, please don't make me mm. do this. Like it 
it's really sad that mm-hmm. I was almost begging. And But at the same time, I felt like I could have got up and left the room. Yeah. But, like, I kind of couldn't in that moment because yeah. I was very drunk and there was a lot of alcohol involved. And, yeah, yeah I feel responsible because you, there's always something more or something different that you could have done. Yeah. But unfortunately, it just is what it is. Mm. Um, and yeah, part of my journey. Yeah, yeah. And I guess at this point, it's also important to say that, you know, some, you can, when you are in an intense situation, you have fight, flight or freeze. And, and perhaps mm. a certain element was freeze for you of like, I don't know what to do. Because um, it does take a certain level of awareness and confidence to be able to navigate this traumatic incident so yeah I just want because some people may relate to your story but alcohol wasn't involved um so it doesn't always have to be because of the alcohol um that's really interesting thank you yeah and I think that another thing that I found really difficult is that like I don't have many memories of the incident um and now I better understand that you know traumatic memories can be blocked out in that regard or whatever but yeah it's definitely um did I freeze or did I, was I just too, you know, Mm. there's a lot of questions around it that even knowing the answers don't change um, what happened. Mm. But yeah, that makes me feel a bit more comforted. So thank you. Yeah, well, I'm sorry you had to go through it. It's okay. Um, Would you say though that through that darkness, some real positives have come out of that experience? Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, would I take it back? Like, I'm not even sure if I would mm. because no matter how distressing that that situation was and, you know, probably the weeks and months that followed it because I ended up in a weird situation where I then became friends mm. with the person that I was in this situation with. Mm. Um, and, I mean, I might like to talk about that with you because that never mm. really made sense to me, like, why I, I did that. Although we didn't discuss it here, I felt that Louise remained in contact with the perpetrator as it was easier for her to pursue a friendship with him than admit she had been a victim of abuse. Also, as she had been drinking that night, she may have felt she could have prevented the incident had she been sober, and so she felt some responsibility for what happened that night. When trauma such as this happens in our lives, we sometimes create a narrative or story around what happened in order to protect us from feeling shame. But it's only when we unearth the incident and look at the facts that we can really begin to heal. In short, yeah, it brought me to sobriety. Mm. um, And sobriety is the thing that I'm most proud of in my whole life. So yeah, the the positives is is that I'm just so proud. Like it's been two and a half years now. I can't believe that I'm two and a half years without drinking, you know, no drugs, no cigarettes. And it's brought such clarity and and control. Maybe control is you know not another good word for this situation, but clarity and um, peace. Mm. And I love being sober. I love mm. going out and doing all the things that everyone else does, and not yeah. not dealing with the repercussions of what I had to deal with before. Mm. So yeah, it's brought me closer to like my true me and. I definitely am, feel like there's some positives that have come of it. Mm. Oh, that's really inspiring to hear, actually, because it can't be easy going out with your friends when everyone's drinking or taking drugs. And I was just wondering if you've had an experience where, you know, you, you've been out, everyone's been off their face and you've just been like, oh, what do I do? Yeah, so I would say that um, generally I find things pretty easy. Um, 
I would say that's because I'm really confident and mm. I'm not nervous. So I don't mm-hmm. need the alcohol to make me feel uh, more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I feel like before midnight, yeah. I always say nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> so generally I just bounce around midnight, I go home and all's good. Yeah. <laughs> after midnight, it gets very difficult. Definitely after one, that's when a lot of people are taking drugs. People are very, very sloppy, very drunk. Mm. So generally, I don't enter in situations where I feel uncomfortable because I just duck out at midnight. Yeah. However, on my recent holiday, um, yeah, there was one situation and I was at a big dinner yeah. um, and it was for a special occasion. And <laughs> I'm laughing because it's just like so foreign to me, but we went for dinner, but no one ate any food because <laughs> everyone, everyone apart from one person and me was taking drugs. Right. And it was just in that moment that I was like, what is going on? Like, this is so weird. Like, yeah. And I was just what eating. What did the restaurant think, though? Oh, well, I mean, it was like in Mykonos, so that was normal. Oh, right. You know? oh, like, God. it was probably weird that I was eating. And I was like, can I have some more hummus and flatbread, please? Um, was it like a buffet? Or? No, no, it was like a full sit down. They just, they just ordered some food for the table. But and, no one was but eating. I just ate it. I literally just ate all the food. <laughs> yeah, enough for yeah. six people. And then everyone, you know, they got up and started dancing and, you know, I support what anyone wants to do. Like, I'm not the person that's like, you shouldn't drink, you shouldn't take drugs. But there are a couple of situations where it's it's hard. Yeah. And I felt like a couple of people were like freaking out. You know, I guess that's what happens sometimes if you take drugs, take too many, mm. take them too quickly. It just wasn't like a fun social experience yeah. for me. And the music was pretty like techno-based. So I think a big part of, of going out sober is like, if you like to dance, it's still really fun. Yes. But when techno's playing and no one's talking and everyone's like free, freaking out, mm. I'm joking about it. But actually, if I calm and center a bit more, like I went home and I cried in the shower. Mm. And I didn't really know why I was crying, but I just felt like really alone. Oh. Um, and I felt like I was on the edge of the group because they were all doing something that I wasn't mm. involved in. And there was just this like overwhelming sadness that mm. kind of took over me and I stood in the shower and I cried. Mm. And I, you know, now I'm like, it's good, you have to feel these emotions. So I processed them and I felt them. But it was just really sad. It just felt mm. like the lo- the odd one out. Mm. And it was something that I just hadn't, I don't feel like that normally. Yeah. Normally I come home and I'm the one in control yes. and I'm so happy and I'm like, Still now I get a kick out of coming home at 1am and being like, no hangover tomorrow. Mm, yes. yes. But I think also going back to one of our earlier sessions, you know, you are in this sort of more single life and actually that hedonism, drinks, uh, drugs, that's kind of part of it. That's kind of how people think about enjoying being single um so you know for the mumsy people like me (laughs) 12 o'clock is a late night and it's fine um but yeah that must be difficult to feel connected to those people that you're going out with and to feel part of that youth and that's such a good point because I feel like it's something I thought about as well when I got home I just thought to myself like I was craving so I think since I'm sober and on this journey I crave human connection talking about things like what I talk about in therapy or life and I crave to just sit in a group of four or a small group Mm -hmm. and talk about stimulating 
topics and have great in-depth conversation where you connect with another human. And I think that in those moments when I was out, it was the opposite. Mm. You know, no one was talking. (laughs) No, no one. I I couldn't have met someone even if I'd wanted to because no one in there wanted to talk. And I want to be like... You know, I want to know things about you. But interestingly, before the evening started, I had the most amazing discussion with one person in the group, a guy who had very sadly gone through some really traumatic events. And we had an amazing discussion, Mm. an hour probably, Mm. talking about how it had impacted his mental health and how passionate I am about mental health. And in that moment, I felt like so fulfilled. And I was like, this feels so good to have these like connections and talk about things so it was almost like the starkness between that and then the complete opposite which was like no human connection no discussion no nice dinner do you know what I mean Mm. so yeah Mm. I can't remember what your question was but I I I miss I like to sit down and talk and connect with people and I feel like in today's party you know single not single whatever going Mm. out it's not about connecting with people. Mm. Um, It's just about like... Yeah. I mean, although I don't take drugs, what I understand from it is that people feel a connection all taking drugs together. And so Uh, perhaps you... That's a bit mad for me. Well, I don't know. You know, it's not something that I know personally, but I know, you know, sometimes people take drugs and they like all get high together and it's it's a way that they find to connect. It's not a very wholesome or pure yeah. way. <laughs> That's so true, though, because I definitely felt like I could see in the group mm. that it was like a group experience. Mm. For me, it felt like I was on the outside of the pack, mm. which is maybe why I felt alienated, disconnected and mm. sad when I got home. Yeah. For me, like, I love connecting with people without substances mm. and just having discussions but I guess maybe I need to stay aware that for other people they connect in in different manners maybe we're all different yeah and I'm really interested to know whether at any point in the night you thought about breaking your sobriety no honestly like because people ask me all the time like oh are you going to drink again and I would say that at no point of the night did I think about breaking it because I just felt like what was I going to get from that Mm. A little bit more connection, but I'm scared of drugs, basically. Like, I'm scared of what they do to your brain. Like, I have quite a sensitive brain. Mm-hmm. I'm scared of... I'm almost scared now of drinking or taking drugs because I'm scared of going back into that, mm. which, again, might not be, like, a healthy relationship with it. It might be that, actually, I could have one or two drinks now because I'm not that version of me two and a half years ago when I was so stressed. Mm. Um, and it might be, again, like, coming back to the control thing, that like I've now become controlling of not doing it. Yes. But I do know that deep down it brings me so much balance and positivity yeah. that the thought of, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd love to go on like a rager once, <laughs> just like what once, you know? Mm. Like it would be so fun to be like really drunk and like yeah. be dancing on a table, but I still dance on the table. It's just not missing the slightly chaotic edge. Yes, yeah. And the chaotic edge is not worth it the next day for me. I mean, it's really inspiring that you've done this. I was wondering whether you've had any help. I mean, did you do rehab? Did you have psychological support? At this point, I explained to Dr. Helen that having had a total meltdown, I just had to take some time out of London and be away from my business. So I went back to my parents' house in the countryside for a few days, turned my phone off and checked into a holistic detox retreat for two nights for some much needed time out and total silence. 
I knew that I would never be able to make a big life change and be able to reflect on what had happened and all the things that had led up to this incident if I was still caught up in the crazy city cycles that come with London living. And I have to say that this is probably a bit woo-woo, but I said to the universe whilst I was sat in bed on my first night, because you're not really supposed to like use your phones and... You know, at this point I was still smoking. So like all I wanted to do was go and have a cigarette outside and obviously I couldn't. Mm. So I sat in bed with my Kindle and I said to the universe, like, I really need a book to help me. Mm. The first book I found was Russell Brand, um, Freedom From Our Addictions. I have to say that the book changed changed everything for me. And it was the first time when I read it and everything made sense. Wow. Everything, because he talks about how... You know, these are just um, vehicles to escape from reality. And so I did the whole book and there's journaling exercises and there's everything. And for me, that's how I did it on my own. But now today, since like being now friends with people in AA, I do understand as well, like if there's an even more intense problem that like seeking professional help is important but yeah I just did it on my own maybe I've got like good willpower <laughs> or maybe things are just so bad that I was just like must change ready, yeah. yeah but yeah it was a very helpful piece of the jigsaw for me yes yeah and I'm also wondering you know it sounded like AA and going down the rehab route didn't feel right for you and I imagine for a lot of people it would be quite daunting actually to go down that route um did you have any other aside from the spiritual retreat were there any other options that you had so I think this is interesting because I never really felt like I had a problem Mm. because I think that in today's society alcoholism drug taking is only defined or perceived to be a problem if you're taking coke at work or (laughs) drinking on a Tuesday morning do you know what I mean like that people that's why people think they don't have a problem yeah because they don't people think that alcoholism is having to drink every day yes Putting vodka in a water bottle. Putting vodka in a water bottle. You know, the severe, like, crazy extremes that we see in movies and hear about of some people that yours, a friend of a friend of a friend. So for me, and I think probably so many people, other people, I didn't feel like AA was right for me because mm. I I knew that I could stop if I really yeah. wanted to. But then actually you look back and say, well, there were many weekends when you couldn't really, you know. Yeah. But what I say is that I never had a, a, a really had a, problem I had a problem stopping yeah for me it was like on a night out I could never stop at two or three drinks right um it would just keep going and keep Mm. going so for me seeking professional help um didn't feel right and honestly I just knew that I just had to get control over what I was doing Mm. so I I really didn't have anything else like I didn't have any sober friends to talk to Mm. I didn't have anything but I think probably interesting to note as well is that it was never going to be a forever thing for me Mm. I just thought I'll start small Mm. just try one night just see can you go out tonight and not drink yes exactly just breaking it into like manageable steps you know um and thinking also kind of planning what drinks you're going to have as well because sometimes you can panic at the bar and go okay I'll just have a bit yeah massively (laughs) Um, and like panic when people say to you like can I get you a drink yeah and you're like I'm like, I don't drink, thanks. You know, I almost like love doing it now because I just love watching people's reactions. Like, yeah. I honestly feel like I can judge what someone's like as a human being, yeah. depend on their reaction. And <laughs> I've had some guys that are like, oh, like, how do you have fun then? 
And I just know instantly, I'm like, well, we're not going to be friends. Like, <laughs> you're not the kind of person that I want to be friends mm. with if you're that close-minded. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people struggle when other people peer pressure them. Like, you're not drinking. Oh, that's so weird. Well, I'll get you a glass of wine anyway. And then they're like, oh, I'll just drink it. Like, Have you had people do that? Yeah, I've had people try to try to put like because quite a lot of time I'll drink Diet Coke because it's got um, I know it's not like super good for you but it's got caffeine in it so if I am trying to keep up and stay out till like one two or I'm at a day party you know I need energy so I've had people put Coke in vodka and give it to me so I honestly like say to people now when they hand me a drink like does this have alcohol in it or I say to the bartender like it's it's alcohol free right and if I'm not sure I'll get my friend to like check because I have people that honestly like want to try and sabotage almost probably to make themselves feel better Um, I find that really hard to believe like I believe that you're being truthful but wow that yeah and it hasn't happened often hasn't happened often Mm. but like there have been occasions where people just can't understand why I don't want to drink and I can only assume that it makes them feel bad yes Yes. Because why else would they care, like, what I'm deciding? It's triggering something in them. Yeah. Right. How interesting. Yeah. yeah. And also kind of a testament to you getting into your higher self and to taking the path less trodden. That must feel really empowering after a while, after it stops being very difficult. It must feel good. <laughs> oh, it feels so empowering. Like, mm. I, people ask me, like, what's your thing, the thing you're most proud of in your whole life? And I, I think that sobriety I'm more proud of than even running a business or surviving yeah. the stress and the trauma of everything. Like, I am so empowered and proud of it and the benefits that it's brought to my life so yeah it's definitely that keeps it going like you almost like don't want to lose lose the good work that you've put in Mm. and I think for you it it's also representative of a new way of doing things you had a certain way you know 60 tabs open running through your day partying hard alcohol was part of that old you um to finish kind of where are you now and how do you hope to keep developing on this path Right now, I'm two and a half years sober. I also stopped smoking a couple of years ago too. So for me, I really respect my body Mm. in a way that I didn't before. And I don't say that out loud often because Mm. I don't believe that other people are disrespecting their body if they drink. Just for me personally, I feel happy that I'm not putting those chemicals and toxins into my body. So I want to continue on this path um, and I want to continue spreading the word about how great sobriety can be because I see so many friends and strangers drinking and taking drugs and I don't think they understand the deeper thing that it's covering up Mm. or escaping from so a big part is like I feel like I'd love my purpose in life to just help people understand that they Mm. don't if they go deeper into what they're hiding from that they don't have to self-medicate with Mm. substances um And the future is just to work on it every day. Like I always say that it's, and they say in AA, it's like this. I think that one of their taglines is like, take it just a day as it comes. Because, you know, tomorrow something so traumatic could happen to me. And who knows, would I be able, you know, I've always said like, God forbid if one of my parents passed away spontaneously tomorrow, would I be able to continue on my path Mm. of sobriety? I would really hope that I could. Mm. 
but you never know. No. Um, so it's I guess also, every day. yeah, I guess with each day that you you find new coping mechanisms, it might be that if something did happen that was awful, you wouldn't even think to go to alcohol necessarily because you've found lots of new ways of coping with difficulties. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point because I think that it's taken me a really long time to get to where I am now, which mm. is if something bad happens, it's okay because you have a therapist yeah. and you have a couple of really good friends mm. who will listen to you and help you through it. Yes. Whereas even over the last two and a half years, I think that my coping mechanisms, I still had them. Like it yeah. was it was exercise for a very long time after my sobriety was exercise. And um, still to this day, it's food. Yeah. Like my coping mechanism when I'm stressed or when I'm, upset about anything is food yeah so it is still like god like it's not a I'm a work in progress still Mm. but I'm more aware now of those coping mechanisms so now if something stressful happens I don't just have to go to deliver and self-soothe myself with Mm. food it's like I understand that I can do it differently I can sit with the emotions I can let it pass I can journal it I can Mm. cry it out I can go for a walk I can talk to people even silly things like (laughs) I still suck my thumb (laughs) because like I'm just it's just something that from a child and I found like soothing mechanisms that are just not destructive yeah so sometimes I'll just end up sucking my thumb and I know that's (laughs) like most people like that's actually ridiculous but for me it's like if I can do that and it brings me a tiny bit of like comfort Mm. without me having to reach for a bottle a cigarette a pizza a treadmill yeah then it's just like being present and just yeah Mm. working through it with like being awareness and working through it with awareness yeah I think that's so helpful Louise yeah that perhaps in panic moments we're like oh let me just get a glass of wine or it's the end of the day let me get a glass of wine and over time those slightly destructive patterns really get embedded into our routine and if just gradually we can find new ways of um just do something healthy or at least neutral, like sucking your thumb or watching Breathing. Netflix. Yeah, whatever. Over time, whilst it feels unnatural at the start, over time just becomes part of what you do and then you can become a much healthier and happier person. And I think what I'll do is um, add a little bit of what you can do to kind of start embedding healthy habits into your day. Um, we'll also add in a decision analysis so that, you know, we don't need to wait until we hit rock bottom or have a traumatic incident, yeah, but perfect. we can decide okay, actually, there are lots of gains to stopping drinking, but also acknowledging the gains that you get from drinking. Because I think it's really important that if you do go out with loads of friends and they are having a good time, that you've gone through weighing up the pros and cons and you're still happy to do that so um, we'll also give some information on some helpful books um, and also where to get help for um, sobriety issues that would be amazing and I definitely think that um, about the decision analysis that's my probably one of my biggest takeaways is that I say to anyone is you cannot see it as a sacrifice Mm. Um, the second you see it as a sacrifice, you'll always be wishing, wanting and longing to be able to do it and resent your decision. Mm. If you do that decision analysis and you it comes out positive mm. and you're empowered with the decision, yeah. then it's so much easier because you it's not a sacrifice. It's an empowered decision mm. that just will add so much to your life. Yeah, well, wow, I've learned something there. Oh. Then. That's great. <laughs> okay, amazing. Well, thanks so much for Thank sharing. You. And it's, you know, really inspirational that you're taking these steps towards your higher self and, you. you know, being this new person that's finding a more balanced mm. way of doing things. So thanks for being so honest. Thank you. I'll see you next week. See you. Bye. Bye. 